Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. And this is the, thank you, this is the Matrixic discussion group call for tactical sovereignty. We hold this every Sunday evening at 9 p.m., Sunday being the first day of the week, not the seventh, not the Sabbath, just to kind of clarify that. And I always start the call by saying that every week, you know, this is the first day, not the seventh, not the Sabbath, and that it's a rabbit hole that you need to go down your own. Well, you know what? I think tonight maybe we're going to hit on that and show that we're going to kind of open that rabbit hole for you a little bit because the times have been changed. Scripture predicted that times would be changed. And I know a lot of times on these conversations we discuss things like uh, the law and government and things like that, and, and also try and show a correlation between that and Scripture. But when people hear Scripture, they think, oh, my God, religion, uh, Billy Graham, da, da da you name it, Joe's, whatever. And so they kind of tune out. And I don't want that to happen this evening because, if anything, this evening, how about if people look at Scripture as a history book? Um, there's a very interesting quote. I'm, I'm trying to think of, of the name of the book. Um, oh, it was, um, God. the Titles of Faith, I think, was the name of it. And it, it was written by uh, James Telmage. It was actually a lecture that he gave, and he made an interesting statement. He said, if a complete history of the house of Israel was written, it would be the history of the world. And to me, knowing the history is the key. And what's a key do? It unlocks the doors for you. Very, very important. You got to get the key. You got to get the doors unlocked. Today, we hear a lot about people, you know, oh, you, you got to wake up. Are you awake? And I had somebody at work, very attractive girl, say to me, she leaned over to me one day in the break room and she said, are you awake? Because she heard something I was talking about, and I just smiled at her. And I noticed the next day I had a friend request from her on Facebook. And uh, so I went and I looked on her page, and I saw the things that she posted. And it was all stuff about Trump and politics and this and that. And I'm thinking, you're not even awake. What are you doing asking me if I'm awake? <laughs> I, I just <laughs> thought that was hilarious. And so... What we're going to be exposing this evening really is the awakening process because what was told to us about the remnant, and the remnant was described in Isaiah as being redeemed from bondage. People have been in bondage. Um, Rome went and first conquered Egypt, like I talked about three years ago or three weeks ago, and then they went and conquered Jerusalem afterwards. And then they went on to conquer the rest of the world. And we're living in a Roman system. 
you know, there is a video out there, and it's on my YouTube list, um, and it shows Benjamin Netanyahu and Mike Pompeo together. And Benjamin Netanyahu is talking, and he refers to the United States as the new Rome, the new Jerusalem. And Mike Pompeo doesn't blink an eye. Well, when he said the new Rome, the new Jerusalem, what I heard, I heard the new Babylon. This is Babylon, guys. You're here. I'm just giving you the alert. This is your time to wake up. Um, you know, it, we should know by now all history is a lie. And when I say history, I'm not just talking about social history, but I'm talking about, quote unquote, religion as well. Religion is a man-made construct. And even a lot of things that were put into the 1611 King James Bible, that this was stuff that was sourced from writings compiled by monks of the church. People don't realize how many little twists on words were used in there. But we're going to get into this. Uh, we've got Mike on with us this evening. We've got Guy on with us this evening. And Guy has an excellent uh, presentation to show. Um, he's going to be aided uh, by Mike. Um, and I believe you both are open on the board right now. How are you doing, Guy? Great. Brother Brian, great to be here. So, um, oh, is that my cue to, to start? Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, it, it's great to have you. And, you know, something to stick in the back of people's minds, okay? And I wanted to mention this. If you go on a Jeremiah study, because Jeremiah gives you the history of prophecy for the future. But people need to realize Jeremiah was not written in chronological order, okay? Now, in Jeremiah, it says that there will be a second exodus, basically. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, a second exodus. And it said that all tribes would end up back in Egypt in bondage. And it's like, you think about that, it's like, how is that even possible? What has happened is instead of all tribes, because prior to the circa uh, 70 invasion of Jerusalem, all the tribes have been scattered. It says in Scripture over and over, the tribes have been scattered among all the nations. So how is it possible they would all be brought back to Egypt? Well, guess what? If you can't bring the horse to the water, you bring the water to the horse, right? Instead, Egypt went after the invasion of Rome, or with Rome, and invading Jerusalem, and conquered the rest of the world. It went to the tribes and conquered those nations that the tribes were in and has been ruling them ever since. That's precisely what's happened. And I, I've got DNA evidence of it. They've been finding that with the pharaohs. They're saying, oh, they're saying, oh the, the pharaohs have European DNA. I'm going, no, they don't. The Europeans have the DNA of the pharaohs. Because when people scattered from Babylon, where did they all go? Lavalent to Norway, northern Italy, places like that. Um, right? And this is what I, the last thing I'm going to say, and I, then you can start your presentation. 
you know, right after Obama became president, where do you go when you get a job? You, know, you normally go see your boss, right? He went to Egypt. And there's an article out, and he's standing in front of this statue of Akhenaten, one of the pharaohs, Pharisees. Okay? He's standing in front of Akhenaten, and he says, gosh, he looks just like me. You know what? That's a totally incorrect statement. How could Akhenaten look just like him? Obama wasn't even around yet. Instead, Obama was saying, I look like Akhenaten. If you want to see the Pharaoh, look at me. That's what he was really saying. The U.S. is being ruled by Pharaohs. The world's being ruled by the Pharaohs. They spread around the world. And it's time for the second exodus. And so it's time for the presentation. Guy, you got to go. Okay. Um, before I begin, I would like to just say that um, I want to dedicate this um, presentation to the woman that anointed the Son of Man when he was in uh, Simon the Leper's house, which is documented in Matthew 26. Uh, a little bit about myself. I'd like to say that I am a retired firefighter. And I'm not saying this to boast. I'm just saying this because I understand and know and see that Yahweh has been in my life and his finger has led me along the path that I can see what he was doing. And he is, um, how do I say, compassionate and merciful and righteous. And he opened doors for me to get into the fire department and all along the, the way that I went through the fire department. The significance of this is there's a lot of things, there's parallel to um, what happens in the fire department. Basically, um, my job as a fireman is to save lives. And one of the things that I was involved in in the fire department is we would go and do inspections of uh, buildings, commercial buildings. And you're all kind of familiar with these inspections in um, elementary school. You had your teacher tell you at one day, said, we're going to have a, a fire alarm and we're going to all, when you hear the alarm go off, we're all going to get up and get in a single line and we're going to walk out to the, the tennis court or the play field and we're going to sit there until the, the test is over. Well, what I didn't realize at that time, and I'm sure you guys didn't realize that this fire drill was put together by firemen. And what firemen would do is they would go into a place such as this school and they would identify where potential fires would start. In this case, probably the janitor's room. 
And then what they did was they figured out that, the, you know, figure out where the wind was going to blow in the event that this fire was taking place. You wouldn't want the children to go out into downwind to the wind, so to the, the smoke that was being created from the fire. So they would establish a place somewhere that was above the wind, and they figured out where uh, fire trucks could come to uh, provide uh, food, canteen type of things for uh, the children. So what you had was an alarm would go off, and the children would run with the teacher or in single file patiently walk to this place that's been pre-established as a place where the children would be protected by the firemen and any other authorities that's involved. Well, about three years after I got on the fire department, I dedicated my life to Yahweh. And when I began studying the prophetic scriptures, I really saw a parallel here. And this is what we're going to discuss. That there is a, uh, there's going to be an event that's not going to be pleasant. And we are being forewarned, just like when we were children in elementary school, that there's going to be this alarm. And when it goes off, those that are paying attention will go to this place where they're going to be protected and fed. And that is basically the, the, the gist of this uh, story. So I'm going to jump into this presentation. And Mike. Yes, sir. You ready? Let's go. Can you see it? Nope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's good. <clears throat> Brian, can you see it? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm old. My fault. <laughs> okay. How's that? Yep, I can, oh, yeah, I can yeah, see yeah. it now. Sorry, I was muted out. Looks good. Thanks. Okay. So, Brother Mike, you want to read that? Yeah, my people are destroyed from the lack of knowledge. Hosea 4.6. Basically, what we're, the, the prophets are telling us that we're, for whatever reason, we are destroyed because we lack the knowledge. Ephraim and, mixes with the nations. Ephraim is a flat loaf not turned over. Foreigners sap his strength, but he does not realize it. Hosea 7, 8, and 9. And the problem is, is that Ephraim, which is the northern kingdom, the house of Israel, doesn't realize that he is mixed with the nations. Like. 
in the land of their enemies. Yet in spite of this, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them, nor will I so abhor them as to destroy them, breaking my covenant with them. For I am their Lord, their God. Leviticus 26, 40 and 45. So basically, <laughs> Ephraim is destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. He doesn't realize the situation he's in. And basically, he is in the land of their enemies. And this is what we're going to be addressing. This uh, is about the remnant. And everything we're going to talk about is uh, can be found at Exodus X, where there's more details. And Daniel begins off by stating that the, um, the prophetic scriptures have been sealed. His visions in particular were sealed, and it is a puzzle. And as a puzzle, Daniel's parts are an essential part of it, and the whole puzzle is basically sealed. But Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret. Seal it up so that it will not be understood until the end times, when travel and education shall be vastly increased. Daniel 12, 4. So, at the second coming, there's going to be two groups of believers. This first group are those that are going to be in the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who takes part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over these, and they will be priests of Elohim and of the Son of Man, and will reign with him for a thousand years. Revelation 26. So, the, in, these individuals are going to be those that have died throughout time. And this includes those that are slated to die during the Great Tribulation mm -hmm. period. The second group are those that won't taste death. Truly, I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The Son of Man stated that um, his coming would be as the days of Noah. As it was in the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. So basically, Bible prophecy is a story that's being told in advance. In Noah's case, he... It was, it was Bible prophecy to him. We read it, and we don't think of it as Bible prophecy, but for him, it was. It was he was foretold of a coming uh, extinction-level event, and then he was provided with divine survival instructions, and there, you know, there probably was a lot of questioning when he told his family, we've got to build this ark, and this was uh, a prophetic thing. So the story of Noah is like any other story. It has a who, what, where, and when. So we have to look at it as a story, a story told in advance. In Noah's case, Noah found favor. He was the who, and he found favor with Yahweh. But Noah found favor in the eyes of Yahweh. 
Genesis six thirteen. The what is Noah is forewarned of this uh, judgment plague that was about to befall them, an extinction-level event. And Elohim said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Genesis 6.13 But Noah wasn't just forewarned, but he was also provided with divine survival instructions. These divine survival instructions are where? In other words, a place of refuge. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. Genesis 6.14. So in this case, the ark is the place of refuge. Noah is also provided with directions when to enter into the ark. This is the when information. Then Yahweh said unto Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. Genesis 7 1. But the remnant are also provided with divine survival instructions, just as Noah. The who, in this case, is the remnant. For though your people, O Israel, may be like the sand of the sea, only a remnant within them will return. A destruction is determined, overflowing with righteousness. Matthew twenty-four twenty-two. The what is the remnant are forewarned of judgment. This, there's an extinction level event that's about to take place. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Matthew 24, 22. I just thought I'd throw that in. This is some of the things that we're being forewarned about with these plagues. The where. In this case, we're looking at the woman and the man-child, which is in uh, Revelation 12. I mentioned that this is uh, a puzzle. It's like a, a word puzzle. And as a puzzle, if you look like a, for example, like a jig, jigsaw puzzle, it has on the cover of the puzzle a, uh, a picture, which when you're trying to put the puzzle together, the jigsaw puzzle, you have an idea what the end result is. So it becomes easier to put it together. Well, we're also provided with a passage, which turns out to be Revelation 12, which is an overall view of what the prophetic scriptures are trying to convey. And this is where the woman, um, there's a place prepared by Elohim. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by Elohim, so that there she would be nourished for 1260 days. Revelation 12, 6. 
So this is describing, this verse is describing where the woman is going to flee to a place prepared by Elohim where she's going to be nourished for 1260 days, which is three and a half year period. During this period, the woman is going to be protected from the serpent. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. Revelation twelve fourteen. So this is the basic overview of the whole thing. There's this place of refuge where the woman and man-child, these two are representative of the remnant, and they are going to a place where they're going to be protected and fed for the three-and-a-half-year period, often referred to as the Great Tribulation period, where they're going to be protected from the beasts. But the... And this... 42-month period is where the, the beast is going to rule the earth. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to wage war with him? There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. Revelation thirteen three through 5 so this three and a half year period is recognized as 1260 days it's recognized as a time times and a half time and it's recognized as 42 months in which the beast is going to rule the earth two examples of this place of refuge The first one is found in Joel 2:32, where the remnant are going to be delivered in Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of Yahweh shall be delivered, for on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as Yahweh has said, and in the remnant whom Yahweh shall call. The second example of this, and there's a lot, a lot of them. I'm only just uh, introducing two of them. Is the second example that um, the place of refuge is Mount Zion is found in Isaiah chapter 4. And I would like to clarify the very first verse is it's describing the daughters of Zion, where there's going to be seven women to every one man. And what this is is you're going to have men and you're going to have women that are going to be a part of the remnant and that are going to be in this place of refuge for this three and a half year period. Well, the men, just like in the wilderness period after leaving Egypt, they did a uh, census where the uh, men over the age of accountability were counted and identified, documented according to their name or the tribe that they were associated with. 
the women were counted also, but they were not identified by their own name. Rather, they were identified by the men that they were associated with, for instance, like their husband or their brother or their father or whichever. So this is the second example, and I'd like to go through this verse by verse. And so that day, women are the uh, recognized as the seven women for every one man are identified as the daughters of Zion. And in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. Isaiah 4 1. They are the escaped of Israel. In that day shall the branch of Yahweh be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. Isaiah 4.2 These are those that remain in Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion, and he that remains in Jerusalem, shall be called holy, even every one that is written among the living in Jerusalem. Isaiah 4.3 But there's also going to be a purge, just like there was one for the children of Israel that were disobeyed while they were in the wilderness period. When Yahweh shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. Isaiah 4.4. 4. Uh, this and from above Mount Zion, pillar of fire and column of smoke. And Yahweh will create above every dwelling place on Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day, and the shining of a flaming fire by night, for upon all the glory shall be a defense. So just as the children of Israel were protected from the Egyptians by the pillar of fire and column of smoke. The daughters of Zion and the uh, men that are going to be the remnant that are going to be in the old city of Jerusalem are going to also be protected with a pillar of fire and a column of smoke. And there's going to be a tabernacle above the place of refuge. And there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat, and for a place of refuge, and for a covert from storm and from rain. Isaiah 4.6 So this is chapter 4 of Isaiah, all six verses. And it is describing where these daughters of Zion are going to be in they're the escaped of Israel, and they're going to be in the old city of Jerusalem where they're going to be protected with a pillar of fire and a column of smoke, just like the children of Israel were while they were in the wilderness. Which brings us to um, when is the woman going to be protected? But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place, where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. 
Revelation 12, 14. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by Elohim. So there she would be nourished for 1260 days. Revelation 12, 6. So, so far we've stated that there's um, the, the, the who individuals are the remnant. They're going to be, uh, there's going to be this extinction level event that's going to take place. And that the remnant are going to be uh, in Mount Zion in Jerusalem dur during this period for the three and a half years. If this is the correct assessment, then there needs there should be scriptural other scriptures that back this up, showing that there is going to be a starting point and an ending point of this three and a half year period. The starting point is the instructions that the Son of Man gives to those that understand a time to flee to the mountains. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Matthew 24, 15 and 16. So the starting point of this is when those that are in Judea see the abomination of desolation, desecrate the temple. It is time for them to flee to the mountains. Now, a lot of people have been misguided to think that this is talking about flee away from Jerusalem, but actually it's the other way around. Jerusalem is built on several mountains, two of which most people are familiar with one is Mount Zion itself. The other one is Mount Moriah, where the Dome of the Rock presently sits. So we've already established that Joel says that there's going to be deliverance for the remnant whom Yahweh calls in uh, Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And we've established that Isaiah confirms that Mount Zion in Jerusalem is the place of refuge. So this is the instructions for going to Jerusalem, the old city of Jerusalem, for those that are in Judea. Now, this doesn't mean if you're in Missouri and you see the abomination of desolation, desecrate the temple in Jerusalem. If you're not in, Jer in Judea, when this happens, you're not going to make it because of the mark of the beast. And the reason is, is that without the mark of the beast, you will not be able to buy a plane ticket to get over there. So if you're not there, you're, at that time, before it starts, you're going to be, uh, you're going to miss the boat. As uh, Brian and I were talking earlier today, when the door was closed on Noah's Ark, it was closed. There, no one else could go in. And likewise, when this happens at this time, if you aren't there, the door closes and it's over. 
So the remnant have to be on Mount Zion at the beginning of the Great Tribulation period. There will be no trickling effect after this period begins. Second, the ending point, three and a half years later, is found in Zechariah 14, verses 1 through 5. Behold, the day of Yahweh comes, and your spoil shall be divided in the midst of you. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Stop then for a second, a minute. For a second, Mike. Notice here that this is talking about the second coming of the Son of Man. And Jerusalem is in the middle of a siege, which they break the walls down, and half the people are going to be taken, but half will not be cut off from the city. And this is where the Son of Man intercedes. Continue, Mike. Then shall Yahweh go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. And half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains. For the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel. Yea, you shall flee, like as you fled from before the earthquake, in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And Yahweh, my Elohim, shall come, and all the saints with him. Zechariah 14, 1-5. So this last verse where, where these, he's saying, you shall flee to the mountain valley. These are divine survival instructions. This is not for them to go and get, you know, get martyred. This is to be alive, to continue to be alive. And this is what this is describing to the, you know, to those that are not going to be cut off from the city. So again, I would like to say that the starting point is when you see the abomination of desolation, Stand in the holy place, then let those that are in Judea, that's the time to flee for the old city of Jerusalem, which is built on several mountains. And there you'll be protected with a pillar of fire and column of smoke. And you're going to be fed manna for a period of three and a half years. Then at the end of the three and a half years, as recorded here in Zechariah, the Son of Man is going to come and he's going to protect the half the city that is not going to be cut off. And that this earthquake is going to be instrumental in protecting this half that is not cut off. So here's the end of the. Uh, Great Tribulation period, and this is, uh, again, talking about, uh, po I'm pointing to the second coming of the Son of Man, as documented in Zechariah 14, verses 1 through 5. 
which brings to mind what is the uh, the starting point of the tribulation period itself. And for those that are looking for and watch for the start of the tribulation period, then they will know when they see it happen that they have a three and a half year window to get to the old city of Jerusalem, Judea, in order to escape the great tribulation period. I'm ending this with an introduction to the website. I would like to just point this out briefly, how this works. If you see on the left-hand side, it shows what is the greater second exodus. This is the what, who, where, and when. There's the who will be in the, the greater second exodus, is where is the place of refuge, and when does the greater second exodus begin? Then you want to know more. There's more information here on the side. And with that, I conclude this presentation. Brother Brian. Did we lose you? All right, sorry, I was muted out because I've just been sitting absorbing what you were showing. And I would recommend to people uh, watching this, I would love if somebody could upload this to YouTube. I do everything from my phone, believe it or not. A lot of people, I, I tell them that, and they're like, you got to be kidding me. Because <laughs> I do PDFs, I do all sorts of stuff. There's like, no way you're doing this from a phone. I'm like, yeah, I run all this crap from a phone. Um, I've got a couple issues maybe with the presentation, but I think it's extremely important. Um, and I think there's some things that maybe we should look into as well. For instance, it's the scripture talks about fire and smoke, and this is something I've thought over in my mind many times, but I have not done my due diligence and done it. I would love to go into a concordance and see what the real words or the other descriptions were for fire and for smoke that would be leading people. I know um, I went in a concordance because when I was young, I had a real problem with Scripture when it kept citing God, G-O-D. And... At the same time, there's also, and people don't know, there, there's a tribe of Israel called uh, G-A-D, which you would think is Gad, but it's pronounced as God, right? And I asked my teacher who had been to seminary about it, and he said, well, the capital G, that, that means the God of Christianity. And in, in learning and researching further, it's like, no, it doesn't. Something that's capitalized only means something specific, all right? And God is only a title. There's many gods. There's many gods people have accepted to rule their life, all right? And, but when it's capitalized, you're referring to a specific God. My question is, okay, what is that specific God? 
that's something that's not told, especially if I mean, you look at U.S. money. It says, in God we trust. It's capitalized. Okay, good. What God? What God are you referring to? Because there's a lot of them. Um, I've got a shirt, actually, that says pantheism. We are all going to hell in many religions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it, it it's all what you're following. Um, there's a couple of things interesting that you brought up. One, in the beginning of your presentation, it talked about the turning over of the people. The tur and uh, Yahuwah talked about, and I appreciate Mike and uh, you guys referring to him as Yahuwah and not Yahweh, because that was something presented actually uh, by people who were referred to as um, the extremists or the Pharisees of the church because uh, they didn't want people to know the name. Why didn't they want people to know the name? Well, haven't we heard there is power in the name? There's power in the name? Of course they wouldn't want you to know it because they don't want you to have the power. Oh, some of that stuff just blows my mind. But anyway, what you brought up, one of the things in the beginning was the turning of the tribe. And I remember looking at that a few years ago. And when you said that, it, it, it wakened that back up in my mind. <clears throat> because it talks about Yahuwah will turn the tribe of Israel as a woman turns a plate. Well, so much in Scripture relates directly to what we do in human life. And if you watch a woman wash dishes and watch a man wash dishes, you'll notice something. When a man washes dishes, he takes a plate and washes the top of it, and then takes the sponge or the scrubber and then washes the bottom of it. Now, you watch a woman wash a plate. She washes the top of it, and she turns it. She turns the plate so she can see it and washes the bottom of it. And when I realized that, it was like it reminded me of the scripture. He will turn the tribe as he turns, as a woman turns a plate. I was like, holy crap. The same thing that was true so long ago is true now. And um, I, I think people need to realize at the same time, you're talking about the, the two tribes coming together. Is it says that the, tribe, the two tribes have to be rejoined, uh, which is Ephraim and Messiah. Or they, and they're the ones that are going to be gathered first. I've often wondered if the tribes of Ephraim and Messiah are the two witnesses. Because it says they're going to be gathered first and then the others will follow. And at the same time, you know, what's presented to everybody today, talking about Jesus of Nazareth, at the time that he was on earth, there was no Nazareth. It didn't exist yet. It didn't exist until years later. It was uh, Jesus, the 
they said the Nazarene. It's the Nazarene. He, he talked about the the branch. That's what a Nazarene is. It's a branch. And so these tribes all coming together, these people being scattered among the nations, these are the branches. These are all of these little bloodlines or whatever are going to be tied back in. They're going to come back together. I kind of hope that makes sense a little bit for people. Um, go ahead with your thoughts on what I've stated, although I know I've mentioned several things. Uh, I'm uh, in agreement with you. I have no... Um, I, I, there is going to be this gathering of the uh, the remnant, and uh, this is what I was trying to clarify that in the beginning. And the idea behind it is is that there's those that are going to be there's going to be two groups of believers: those that are going to be in the first resurrection. In other words, we're looking at a lot of believers that keep the commandments of Elohim. And the testimony of the Son of Man, but they're not going to uh, get to this place of refuge. And they're going to have the option of taking the mark of the beast or being martyred. But those that do um, make <clears throat> martyrdom, they're going to be in the first resurrection. Those that don't taste death or that are going to be alive at the second coming are those that go to this place of refuge. And they're going there so that they can be protected, so that they'll be alive to greet the Son of Man at his return. Well, part of what you mentioned as far as like a location and going somewhere, and and I, I've studied this as far as the abomination of desolation is standing in the temple of the holy. And what I've really come to feel, not believe, because I don't know, but just what I've come to feel is that this temple, this abomination of desolation being in the temple, I look at it as being in the mind. And that we have allowed the lies. We've allowed the leaven that's talked about in the Old Testament. When it talks about leaven, it's talking about lies. We've allowed the lies into our mind, into our temple. And it's standing right now in the temple. It, the abomination is right there. You can see it today. Look at everybody wearing masks, for instance. It's showing you. It's giving you. A physical proof of who has allowed this man or this beast into your head. And that's just kind you know, of what uh, I've seen. You you don't think that the uh, abomination of desolation is a specific event? You think it's more of a uh, of like a uh, uh, just the uh, the overbearance of uh, of, of this uh, false god worship in our culture? You don't believe it's a specific... Because I, I believe it's actually a specific event that happens. 
Yeah, you know, a lot of people think that so many things are specific events. Something that I found interesting is that when you go through the gospel and even look at what the word even gospel means, you know, um, message from the battle or whatever you want to say, um, is that when you go through that and the words of Yeshua and people will say, Oh, no, that's just figurative. It's a parable. He's just kind of showing an example of something. But though for some reason, then when people go into the book of Revelation, they're like, oh, no, that's exactly physically what's going to happen. That's exactly what's going to occur. It's like, hold on a second. What's been presented to everybody prior to that has been parable, if you will. It's been for... Uh, what he said is people with eyes to see and ears to hear. It had to be hidden because the word couldn't be brought out because the Pharisees and the rulers of Rome would not recognize it the way it was being stated. Otherwise, they would see him as somebody that was trying to take over their country, which wasn't really what he was trying to do. The message he was giving was being given in that way only because people with the eyes to see and ears to hear would comprehend what was really being said. And so now, how come all of a sudden the book of Revelation comes along and, and people want to claim that it's all totally literal when prior to that it was parabolic? The abomination and of death I think it, isn't in the book of Revelation. It's in the book of Luke. And Matthew, right? Matthew, yeah. It was a, it's a prophecy given to us directly from the Messiah, and and he, uh, and I think he, uh, you know, that backs up, you know, because he says specifically, you know, spoken of by the prophet Daniel. I think he gives, uh, you know, confirmation there of Daniel's prophecy that that is an actual event. <clears throat> yeah, I think it's I think it's an actual event but maybe not looked at the way the common man eyes see things. I, I know there's things legally that I show people, and in the common man's eyes, they see one thing, but if they look at it from the legal aspect of those who wrote it, all of a sudden it means something totally different. You know what I mean? But uh, I think all of this information is something that people should look at and pay attention to because in my viewpoint, the eyes or the situation we should be seeing, the times are here. We're seeing these, and we need to know what's happening. Ephraim is not aware that, that he is in the land of the enemy. Or the well, four Ephraim, corners. We were supposed to be dispersed to the four corners, too. We're, we're all over the world. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, Ephraim is one of the two tribes that was still there in uh, Jerusalem when Jerusalem was taken over in AD 70, and, which is interesting that, you know, the scripture says, what was made for your benefit has become a snare. 
And I think one of the things being referred to is what happened at the time Jerusalem was taken over is that they were following uh, the feast. They were following the feast schedule. And that's why those two tribes, so many people were congregated in uh, Jerusalem. Titus even said that no city with so many people had ever been totally conquered. And the reason why there were so many people there is because they were there in observance of the Passover at the time. What was made to be their benefit had become their snare. I found uh, that kind Ephraim, of fascinating. Ephraim uh, was the northern kingdom under Rehoboam and was dispersed under King Hosea by the Assyrians. The northern ten tribes, that's when the prophet Ahijah, you know, took uh, took his cloak and the cloak and tore it into 12 pieces. He gave 10 for Rehoboam in the northern kingdom. He gave two for, uh, uh, or not, or Jeroboam in the northern kingdom. He gave two to Rehoboam, uh, the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin. Uh, the other 10 tribes were dispersed by the Assyrians in Halah, Haran, by the river Gozan. Uh, there were a few stragglers that returned, but uh, the house of Ephraim, uh, that's that's the, uh, you know, the house of Ephraim is symbolic of the house of Israel, of the, of the house of Joseph, right, in Scripture. And, uh, and, and that's who he's uniting is the house of Judah, you know, which is King David and the house of Ephraim. And, and that's where we get our Egyptian blood, right, was from Joseph. Okay, he was, you know, he was, he's the father, uh, and and Rachel, you know, our mother, or uh, Rachel, his mother, jo uh, Joseph, the father of of Ephraim and Manasseh, you know, his wife was an Egyptian. He married the uh, the daughter of one of those generals of the Pharaoh. But that's where Israel gets the Egyptian <laughs> You know, and of course, you know, we were in Egypt for four hundred years, of course. <laughs> four hundred and thirty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've been here. Uh, we've been on for just about an hour now. Uh, did you guys want to open up for maybe two or three questions, a Q&A? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, before I open the lines, uh, and this is what's going to happen, and hopefully this doesn't get messy, but I will unmute everybody. Okay? So... When I do this, now, if you don't plan on speaking, please make sure you're unmuted. And when you come on, please let us know who you are, where you hail to be from, and then give us your question or whatever, and try and keep it under, say, a minute. Um, this isn't being opened up as a platform for somebody to come on and talk for 10 minutes about their opinion of who's doing what or anything like that. Um, so let me jump over here to the board and do that. And so people can come on. And like I said, mute yourself out if you're not planning on speaking. And when you come on, be brief. And just let us know who you are, where you're from, and keep it short and simple if you could. And hopefully we can give you a short and simple answer. So everybody now is unmuted. And I see a bunch of, of lines here that haven't self-muted. Please self-mute yourself. 
unless you want to come on. Uh, we got Joshua here. I know he's got some interesting things. Tommy's got interesting things. I'm looking at people across the board. Can I jump in first? I'm Tommy from Florida. Um, but Welcome, Tommy from Florida. What what part of Florida? Uh, Southwest Florida. Um, but I don't actually okay. believe I live on it. I I believe I live on several different paradigms of this universe and other universes. But that's a whole other thing. Um, okay. I just wanted. I had a question about the difference between the House of Israel and the House of Judah. I feel like it's a bit of a like a kindergarten question, but I just want to know what exactly is the difference and how it. Uh, I want to know the difference between the House of Israel and the House of Judah, and also I had a question about what exactly, not exactly, but what are the two witnesses in in Revelations? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just pick one if it gets too, too much. <laughs> it, it's not as simple as you think on the two witnesses, but um, but first let me answer the um, the house of Israel is the northern kingdom, and they were conquered in 72 BC because they were not keeping the commandments of Elohim. They were dispersed throughout the nations, and they have never returned to Jerusalem, to Israel. They have never returned. They're still dispersed at this time. Judah, on the other hand, is the southern kingdom, which is made up of Benjamin and Judah. And they are those that we see that were taken captive in Babylon, which took place in 586 B.C., and they returned 70 years later to rebuild the temple and the walls of Jerusalem. And for over 500 years, or I mean over 450 years, they were, um, as we know it, uh, all the way up to the second coming, um, to the first coming of the Son of Man. And then in 70 AD, they were. The southern kingdom was dispersed again by the Romans, and they remained dispersed till uh, 1948 when Israel became a nation again. And the northern kingdom, I mean the southern kingdom, again returned. We're only talking about the two tribes of Benjamin and Judah and some Levites. And the remaining 10 tribes are still out there. And they are, this is where Ephraim comes in, and this is where Ephraim doesn't realize the situation he's in. He, he's in danger of being destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. That's that one. The second question is, is that if you look at the two witnesses, the two witnesses, this is a, a complicated answer. I want you me... to know real quick before you jump into this, that I had studied with, I've been studying the Bible for years and I've studied several versions of the Bible. 
So don't get, you know, oversimplified with it. Give me, give me the shortest answer you can give me because I'm well familiar with revelations and things like that. No, no disrespect or anything. Just, just so you know that I'm not, that you can give me, you know, a good answer without having to oversimplify. Okay. Oh, basically in the Torah, it talks about two witnesses. In other words, you can't accuse anybody of uh, anything uh, as far as breaking any of the rules, breaking any of the commandments. Yes, there was without two. Without two witnesses. That's okay. a pre prerequisite. It even uh, works out today. They have this thing, like if you have uh, some of our Hebrew brothers decide, you know, brother and sister want to uh, get married, they enlist two witnesses uh, as a form of document, you know, like notary public, so to speak, where yeah. they they create this document that is um, attesting to these two people getting married. So that's the simple, a simple answer to a complicated uh, question. But I'd like to take this further. When you look at Jerusalem, uh, uh, the Northern Kingdom, when it fell in 72, uh, BC, there were three prophets that were alive at that time. One was Isaiah, another was Micah, and the other one was Hosea. And these people were telling Israel, you know, the, the northern kingdom that you're you're about to be destroyed to repent. And they did not repent, and they ended up getting destroyed, and and they were dissipated. Then, when you have you look at seventy, um, you look at the five eighty six BC when Israel, uh, the the southern kingdom, was conquered when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians. Again, you had the prophet Jeremiah. And the, um, dude, I'm drawing a blank on it, but there were two prophets that were alive that were witnessing to them and saying, you guys need to repent or this, this city's going to fall. And they didn't repent and it fell. So the, these, these two prophets it, for Jerusalem were examples of the two witnesses, the three prophets for the city for uh, the northern kingdom were two witnesses or three witnesses in that case. Now take a look at when the Son of Man came. There was John the Baptist and there was who was a prophet. And what did he do? He did what the other prophets, the Old Testament prophets did. He told Herod, he reprimanded him because he had not, um, you know, he had, had he was having, a, uh, he married his uh, brother's wife, which was a no-no, big time no-no. And then you look at the son of man, which was recognized as the prophet that 
uh, Moses had talked about. And he was reprimanding the Pharisees. So in that time, you had two witnesses, two prophets that were forewarning Jerusalem, the nation of Israel at that time, which was not the entire nation, but rather just the kingdom of Judah, that they were in trouble. And unless they repent, they, they're going to fall to an army. And guess what? They didn't repent. And in 70 AD, they were conquered and dispersed throughout the nations. Likewise, the two witnesses are just like the Old Testament prophets, just like the Son of Man and, and uh, John the Baptist. They're there telling, warning people they need to repent. And if they don't repent, judgment is coming. I hope I, that's the shortest answer I could give you. I, I totally agree with you, uh, Guy. And, you know, like I said earlier, I've often wondered, because it seems today that the hand of the restrainer has been lifted. And I've wondered if the two witnesses are the people of the tribe of Ephraim and the tribe of Manasseh. If those are the two witnesses, because... They're supposed to be brought together first, and then the others are going to follow. Um, the tribes of I, Ephraim I, and I just, Judah are together. Are the two to be brought together? The tribes of Ephraim and Judah are the two to be brought together. Ephraim and Manasseh are the same. They're interchangeable. If you say Ephraim and Manasseh, or the house of Joseph, and the house of Israel, they're all pretty much interchangeable. Yeah, they were kind of switched back and forth. You could substitute one for the other. In uh, um, in Genesis 38, when uh, Jacob, uh, you know, when Joseph brought his sons to him, that's why Ephraim and Manasseh are referred to as the house of Israel. He said, my name shall be upon them, and they shall be his firstborn as, as Reuben and Simeon. Remember, Reuben, you know, had uh, slept with his concubine, and and uh, so he couldn't get the first uh, the first son's blessing. And then Simeon and Reuben and Levi, you know, what they did to those guys who raped Dinah. And so that's why Jacob placed his name, Israel, upon Ephraim and Manasseh. And that's, and he, and, and he put them, gave, you know, that's why even in Jeremiah and even in Ezekiel, I think it's Ezekiel 47, after we're all uh, returned to the, uh, returned to Jerusalem and New Jerusalem is here, Ephraim and Manasseh received their double firstborn portion blessing. It's all, it's all about the return of Ephraim and Manasseh, the house of Israel. That's what, that's what it's about. Absolutely. And this is something that I actually brought up with Dr. Joy Poo uh, a couple of months ago when she was on is that you notice the past couple of years, this big push uh, for like DNA testing, everybody wanting to know where they came from or whatever, and they're doing this through. Well, it was originally MetLife Insurance Company that was doing this, which we learn uh, through uh, Mr. Walter Burian that it's really the insurance companies running everything, not the banks. But MetLife 
funding some of these organizations to go out and offer these testings to see where you're from in the world. And when I was seeing this, I was going, wait a minute. Are they really trying to show you your heritage or are they looking for somebody? Have you ever thought about that? Yep, I agree. Yeah, I mean, to me, when that was going on, it was like, gosh, not only, the funny thing was, is that not only, oh, that you could send in your, your DNA swab or whatever, but you were paying them. You're paying them 30 bucks or whatever <laughs> to try and find this out. And so you are paying them to give them the info that they were looking for. I, I was just... <laughs> Oh my where, God! I shook my head. So, what's wrong with you people? What? Where do I sign up for this? <laughs> and yeah. you're giving them information on the rest of your family. It's yeah. like if they have a genetic profile, a historically genetic profile of me, then they have one of my sisters, even without their DNA. Well, you know and, and this goes, but yeah, and this, this goes back to what I was saying with the genetic profile, and I think I posted this also, or commented on the link for tonight's call that you cannot argue against dna period and when you look at the people who dispersed from babylon went around the world um and they're showing like um the pictures of king tut and knocking out, and, and they're showing, oh, these guys were red-haired and blue-eyed when they look at their DNA. And they say this is an anomaly from the Mesopotamia area. Uh, just like uh, Dr. Loren Murray from UC Berkeley says, it was an anomaly from the Mesopotamia area. And when the people of Babylon were dispersed, where'd they go? A lot of them went to northern Italy. There's a lot of blonde hair, blue-eyed people there. A lot of them went to the Norwegian areas and into England. And, you know, go figure. Who did the U.S. have to vote for this last time? We had a red hair, blue-eyed male and a blonde hair, blue-eyed female. They've circled their way right back into this country in fact, I firmly believe they actually created this country. That's why I don't like using the terms my government or my leaders. Uh, what does the world, what does the free world need a leader for? <laughs> if you're free, what do you need a leader for? Where are you going? Anyway. I, I just think there's so much evidence out there. And people aren't seeing it. Look how long the children we were in Israel when we came into the promised land and we didn't have a king. You know, we just had the judges and a few prophets, you know, and the word says, you know, uh, men did what did what they thought was right in their own sight. Yeah, but we should always be critical of uh, of human leadership. And, uh, you know, only hit, I mean, just regular history's proved that out. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I was looking today in the 1828 uh, Dictionary, 
And I was looking up a specific word. I'll give you the word at the end. The definition was a person who uses power or authority in a cruel, comma, unjust, comma, or harmful way. Uh, do we know of a nation who's been using its authority in a cruel, unjust, or harmful way? I don't know. Uh, that, defini that definition was for the word pharaoh, which links to Pharisee. Yeah. Egypt has moved itself all over the planet. And just like the prophecy in Jeremiah that the people would be returned to Egypt being slavery, well, guess what? That's really a physical impossibility. So instead, Egypt went and took over the world and enslaved everybody. And if you don't think you're a subject or a slave in America today, you're sadly wrong. In fact, when they created America, <clears throat> It was created from the model of of, of uh, England. England, in England, you are a subject of England. In fact, eight of the first seven presidents of the United States were subjects of England. That's something to check out. So they decided when they wrote like the Constitution that it would be better to really term the inhabitants as citizens instead of subjects, because that sounded too harsh. But where do you find the word citizen at? That comes from Rome. That's a Roman word. We've all been subjected to the same thing, and it's time for the second exodus to occur. It's time for people to leave Babylon. It's time for people to leave Rome leave Egypt that's just my opinion I'm trying to and guy, try and, to... guy and Mike you've presented this awesome tonight awesome presentation praise Yahweh yeah praise his name yeah I agree Absolutely. with the no this is Tommy here sorry but you did a really good job I enjoyed the visuals because I followed along with um, my Bible I had my daughter with me, um, which was really neat to be able to sew because she was like, is this real? Are these real people? And are these people alive? Are you talking to these people? And it's, yes, these people are alive. These people are more alive than anybody that I've met on the streets recently. Um, so I was able to show her your slides from the word of God. So I was able to, or well, from the word. So I was able to show her that, yes, these people are speaking truth. So that was very enjoyable for me. The slideshow was awesome. So I really appreciated that. And also, who was it a different person that was reading? Because that made it so much better. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that was uh, Mike. Brother, brothers, brother Mike. <coughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on here as a hillbilly skeptic there, Tommy. <clears throat> you know what? <laughs> and I thought of this earlier. Uh, Guy and Mike, you ought to take uh, tonight's recording or whatever, because you did a great job, and clip it and like make a YouTube of it, because this is info that people are not hearing. They need to know this stuff. 
People are searching for this stuff. You know what, a guy, you and I talked, I don't know if it was today or yesterday when we mentioned this, but we all heard about toilet paper flying off the shelf. But people don't realize that there's been something else flying off the shelf. It's been Bibles. Because people have been going, you know what, I heard about something like this one time. I think it was in Scripture. Bibles have been selling. Oh, and by the way, you know what else they've been closing up as non-essential businesses? Bookstores. Huh. Mm -hmm. Connect a dot there. Mm -hmm. A famine of the word. Absolutely. A famine of the truth. And that's what we're all about, is spreading the truth. Um, do you guys want to close out with anything? Uh, go nope. for it, and then we'll close out this call. Yeah, just I'd like to um, just say, you know, praise the Most High, praise Yahweh the Father for allowing us to come to together uh, and to worship him and to discuss the issue. And we know that he's in our presence. And um, may you all be blessed. Absolutely. Uh, Mike, did you have anything? Oh, no. Uh, gentlemen, just uh, everyone here, thank you for uh, entertaining us. Uh, the great conversation, uh, the great information. Uh, praise his name and uh, hope to talk to you guys again. Well, and you, you know what? One of the things I want to say as well is that in doing these podcasts, I want to say we are not here to entertain you. We are not here to tickle your ears. We're here to give you the actual truth. And like Guy said, you know, we, we need to seek him, right? And one of the things that I found is that what I was brought up with, what I grew up with, my father had been a minister of a TV congregation, all right? I was brought up with this my whole life. And what I found recently is that when we pray, when we pray, Prayer is not just, the word prayer means begging, asking. No. We are supposed to be in constant conversation with the Most High. And instead of putting our hands together to be handcuffed like a slave and bowing our head down like we're a nobody, what we need to do is put our hands in the air, put our face up in the sky, and talk to our Creator. And let me tell you something. I've done that, and the results have been amazing. Amazing, amazing results. Seriously. Try it. You won't uh, be. This is Tommy. Yeah. I just want to let you know that I've done that exact thing, same thing, looking right into the sky. It's, it's amazing. So I'm glad to hear that, you're, that, that we're also on the same page with that. So that's awesome, Brian. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Let me tell you something. I've actually had to start writing down a list of things that have occurred because I have looked to the sky and raised my hands and spoke directly to our creator. It makes a huge difference. Putting your head down, putting your hands together like a slave, getting ready to get handcuffed. No, that's not how it works. We are supposed to connect. We are supposed to be in a constant state of 
prayer, as scripture says, a constant state of communication. That's what it's all about. Uh, Guy, thank you. I would so like much to add something. I would like to add Absolutely. something to this. This is, Mike, uh, you know, very Mike, critical. I appreciate you coming on too. Go ahead, brother. It says in Luke 21, 36, it says, pray ye always that you're found worthy to escape all these things and to stand before the Son of Man. And I want to tell you, if you're not asking for that, it ain't going to happen. And it exactly. also says, pray that your flight will not take place during the winter or on Shabbat. If you're not yep. praying that, I can guarantee you it's going to take place in the middle of the winter on Shabbat, and then you're going to find out. We're being instructed, we're being told what to pray for, and these are just two things that we need to pray for because th this gathering of the remnant is about to take place. And if you're keeping the commandments of Elohim and the testimony of the Son of Man, you are a candidate for going. Absolutely. And waking up, being awake, is part of waking to who you are, that you are part of the remnant. That's what that's really all about. Everybody hears only one little bit of something. They don't hear the other side. That's what being awake is. You're part of the remnant. Um, could you cite those two verses you just mentioned, Guy? Uh, Luke twenty one thirty six is the one uh, pray always to be that you're found worthy to escape all these things, and the other one pray that um, your flight will not take place on Shabbat or during the winter is Luke twenty four. I mean uh, Matthew twenty four. I'm going to take a wild guess at um, I don't know which which verse it is, but it's it's right well, there. Matthew yeah, you've got the chapter. You've got the chapter. That's fine. And yep. I want to I say as well as, you know, I, I don't have it in front of me, but the, the script that people cite a lot about the rapture, when it talks about the rapture, it talks about those who remain. Well, you need to look up that word remain uh, in a concordance and see what that word really is. The word remain actually means those who survive. So that tells you, guess what? You're not getting caught up before all this crap goes down. You're going to have to survive it. And how are you going to be able to survive it? Listen to tonight's podcast because Guy told you. Uh, I'd also like you, Tommy, here saying that it's 2420. Keep. Keep praying that your flight may not occur in wintertime nor on the Sabbath day. Um, and then 20 on, to, and it goes on, it's 20 through 22 to finish this sentence, but it's uh, Luke 24 20. There you go, guys. Okay. Yep. All right. Thank well, you, thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody. And until next Sunday, the first day of the week, not the seventh, and it's Sabbath. Um, I hope everybody has a blessed week. And I'm not going to use the word safe. Be blessed. <laughs> because you are blessed. Accept well, your bless blessing. You. Absolutely. Shalom. Good night, guys. Shalom. Good night. Shabbat. We'll see you later.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.